Good morning, Christ Church. Today's sermon is going to be a little shorter. We're going to try and end our services uh, a little earlier so that you have time to participate in East, East Austin Studio Tour. And you'll hear a little bit more about the artwork and some of the artists uh, during the announcements. But I just want to uh, point out one thing that participating in East uh, touches on so many values of our church, uh, values like the city, just that we want to participate in the life of the city. Values of hospitality, that we welcome anyone in to come and kind of explore this space. Values of community, that we support one another, all the artwork being from the artists of Christ Church. And then also values of generosity, that the artists have created something of themselves, a gift of themselves to be shared. Uh, so you'll hear a little bit more about that in the, the announcement time. And then also this weekend, we remember Veterans Day yesterday. Veterans Day is a day to remember all who have served in armed forces uh, here in the U.S. And we live in a world where uh, there are wars and there are conflicts. And we long for and we pray for Christ to return and there to be an end of war and that swords would be uh, turned into plowshares. And until that time, and there are conflicts, we do say thank you to those who have served uh, to provide freedom through their own protection, their own defense, ways that they have sacrificed. And so I'm going to begin our sermon with a prayer uh, in light of Veterans Day. It'll be on the, uh, the screen here, and then um, we'll enter into the sermon. O judge of the nations, we remember before you with grateful hearts the men and women of our country who in the day of decision ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the peoples of this land share the benefits of true freedom, and gladly accept its disciplines. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And Lord, would you speak to us today? Lord, we're entering a topic, as we just heard our gospel reading, that uh, is tender and um, could be on many people's hearts today as we speak about what you taught us. And so, Lord, we want to hear from your spirit. We want our hearts to be open, knowing that you call us into life. You call us into freedom yourself. Help us to hear your voice today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, these past weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is not an overstatement to say this is the most important sermon ever preached. And as I've said before, you cannot out, uh, outlive the Sermon on the Mount. It is a lifetime of learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, is, and he, Jesus shows us in this Sermon on the Mount. And I want to make sure that we keep one thing squarely in focus today as we go into this sermon, because what we are talking about is tender, is dear, can be challenging, gets at the core of life. Um, I want to remind us of one thing, which is this, that um, remember how the sermon starts, Matthew 5, verse 1. Jesus says, he, he, Jesus sees the crowds, and he goes up on the mountain, and he sits down, and his disciples come to him. He begins to teach his disciples this is the way of following me. This sermon and the commands we talk about today are for the disciples, for the learners, for the apprentices of Jesus. They're for people like us who say, Jesus, we want to follow you. The way of life that you have, we think is the right way of life. Help us to follow you. These are commandments now that are invitations for us to follow the Jesus way. And like I said a couple of weeks ago as we entered into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always blesses us before he commands us. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount begins in blessing? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourning. 
blessing on you first. And you remember the difference between, uh, in the Old Testament, Moses comes down on the mountain and he brings all the commandments and he says, if you keep all these commandments, then God will bless you. And Jesus starts and says, I bless you. Therefore, now in the light of blessing, follow me. Keep my commandments. And so today, as we get into some challenging commandments, remember this. Keep this squarely in the forefront of your mind. You cannot separate the Sermon on the Mount from the Preacher on the Mount. The only way of living these commandments is in a loving relationship with Jesus, which is another way of saying that all of these commandments, he's loved us. These are like return love back to you, God. You have loved us, and we return your love back by learning to follow your way. So we're going to begin looking at uh, two of these commandments today. And if you have your Bible or the scripture passage, I'm starting in verse 31, Matthew 5, verse 31. We'll look at this, and we'll look at one other commandment. Verse 31, Jesus says, It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Any conversation about divorce is one that could involve multiple emotions of pain, of anger, regret, possibly shame. And this is, again, this is real life. This is tender. Uh, I would guess that in this congregation today, this room right here, that Nearly every one of us has been impacted, affected by divorce, either personally or it's been part of our life, part of our extended family in some sort of way. And as you hear this teaching from Jesus, you might wonder, is there actually room for grace here? Is there actually grace in this command that he's offering? And is often the case, I believe that in the moments of deepest pain in our lives, Jesus does bring grace. And I actually do think that there is grace even in this commandment. Now, I want to point a few observations about this teaching out to us. First of all, Jesus acknowledges in the Sermon on the Mount, preaching to his disciples, that divorce might be a part of life. Even to committed Christians, even to those who have journeyed up on the mountain to be with Jesus, still divorce might happen in your life. In our fallen world, things don't always go right. Relationships don't always go right. And Jesus acknowledges, even for his disciples, you might yourself personally experience, go through, live through a divorce. Some churches say that there is never a reason that you can be divorced, but that's not what Jesus says. In fact, that goes further than what Jesus is saying here. He says that sometimes there might be in the life of my followers, this might happen. And this is not a pass. I'm not saying that there's a pass then to commit some sort of infidelity. But it is an acknowledgement that going through a divorce does not make you not his disciple. Do you hear that? The significance of that, that Jesus is saying going through a divorce does not mean you are no longer my disciple. He acknowledges this might happen in this world at this time even for those who committedly follow me. Jesus simultaneously acknowledges a deeper commandment than what Moses gave. You can't just divorce for any silly reason, give a written notice of divorce, and a more challenging command, that there's this life that you're called to of faithful marriage to another person, and divorce might happen. Secondly, 
And this is, um, this is something a little more weighty. And so I just, I'm going to share something with you. There's gravity to what I'm about to share in this observation. That sometimes this teaching from Jesus has been misapplied in very harmful ways. For instance, there have been marriages of sustained physical abuse where a husband or a spouse might say to their wife or their spouse, well, you can't leave me because I haven't had an affair. And Jesus says only an affair is the reason that would end the marriage. And so they perpetuate violence against their spouse. And I want to say very clearly that is a wrong reading of Scripture, a misapplication of this passage for many reasons. And I'm not going to go into them all except for just one, one reason I want to point out. Wayne Grudem is a biblical scholar and theologian. He's done the most extensive study on the New Testament allowances for reasons of divorce. And he looks at a passage in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's teaching uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives this extended kind of commentary on this passage from Jesus. Like Jesus says this teaching and the Corinthians are wondering, well, how are we supposed to live this out? Like help us make sense of this. And so Paul gives a really extensive list of what constitutes what Jesus is talking about, what constitutes grounds for separation. And it's what you're getting is you get scripture interpreting scripture, right? You, we never just read one verse and say we make a whole theology out of one verse. We read the whole canon of scripture and say what is God trying to communicate? So Paul is taking what Jesus has said and he's giving uh, some extended reflection on it, and he talks about, he says, yes, in cases of marital infidelity, also in cases of abandonment, and in other cases like these. And so the scholar Wayne Grudem has done the most extensive survey in the ancient world, what are other cases like these? And his conclusion, it's really wonderful, it's very readable. In fact, you could Google Wayne Grudem, 1 Corinthians 7, divorce, and you could read several very readable articles articles from him. His conclusion is that in cases such these would include things like sustained physical abuse against a partner. And I want to point out that there are many things Wayne Grudem and I will actually even disagree on, but on this point, I think he's exactly right, and he's interpreting scripture appropriately. And because we're discussing this, I want to promote a website called The Hotline, and if anyone has ever been in a domestic abuse situation, there are people you can text people you can call. There are resources available to you for immediate crisis need that are confidential. Confidentiality is protected. And um, also, if you just want to explore as, as resources, this is a wonderful website. And I've recommended this to people before. One last observation about divorce, and that is this. Divorce here is not the only threat to a marriage. I often as I do premarital counseling, people are sitting around my dinner table with me, my wife, and we're talking about things, and we do talk about divorce. We also talk about something I call drift. Drift is this. Drift is a threat to marriage, and drift is that you wake up after 20 years living next to this, a person, a spouse, but actually not in friendship with them, actually not connected to them. There's, you've drifted apart over the course of the 20 years or the 10 years or the 30 years, however long you've drifted. You're just drifting into life right now. There isn't friendship. There isn't intimacy. You're existing in the same home, perhaps. You're sharing the same bed even, but you're not friends, intimate, close. And Jesus says, you can't just make a divorce because you've drifted in life, which is another way of saying marriage takes intentional, consistent friendship, love, support, uh, being emotionally available, it takes work to make a marriage. 
Marriages don't just happen. You can drift. So you do the work of daily showing up and making sure there's marriage retreats, making sure there's time where you're dating. Listen, dating your spouse with young kids is a very challenging thing, but maybe in the mornings when the kids have been dropped off to school, there's ways of doing it. Like You find creatively how do we stay close and connected so that things like trips to HEB and morning coffees, these become grand adventures with my spouse. You know, you are doing the work of staying connected. Okay, we're making a shorter sermon today. So I'm about to take a hard pivot, hard left turn, and say we're going to be done with that. We're now going to turn to the first commandment that Jesus gives, verse 27. And um, this is another hard commandment. Jesus says, if you look in your scripture, verse 20, Matthew 5, verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at another person lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. This is a famous command, and Jesus gives really strong words about the dangers of a heart that cultivates lust towards another person. And notice Jesus is not speaking against sexual desire. He says there's actually sexual desire. That itself is a gift from God, but there is a misdirection, a misapplication of sexual desire, of cultivating an inner fantasy life. And Jesus is teaching that adultery begins in the heart before it ever begins in a bedroom. And there are many in the church whose lives, many in, in churches, not just church, many in churches whose lives have been deeply affected because of a cultivation of lust in the heart, right? And you know the statistics as well. I mean, it, this is now um, secular society has caught up to what Jesus has long taught, which is that when you cultivate a, a, an inner heart life like this, just the way it affects mental health, the way it affects all your relationships, the way it affects friendships, certainly the way it affects intimacy between spouses, but um, for so many different reasons, so how do you overcome a heart that feels trapped, perhaps, in lust? And um, what I was thinking about with this is I imagine you could be in this service today and you could say, for years, actually, I hear this verse and I hear what Jesus is saying. For years, I've struggled with this. I've struggled with an addiction. Not anyone really knows about it. It's a shame that I carry and I kind of even wonder at this point on day 1,000 or 2,000 of, of struggling with this, is there ever going to be freedom? And I just sort of resign myself to saying this is who I am, just an acceptance of just dealing daily with this form of lust. And I was wondering per, particularly for maybe a, a person thinking this, that I want to suggest a word to you. And this word that I want to suggest, it's a, maybe a different way of thinking. How do we invite Jesus into our hearts so that the 1,001 day is different? And we believe actually Jesus can heal and change our hearts and bring wholeness and healing even at places where we've cultivated uh, this inner fantasy world. And, and still we believe the Spirit can come and change and radically redeem our hearts even if it's been a very long time and we haven't seen any kind of progress. I'm going to give you a word. And I'm going to give you this word and you're instantly going to say that is an old-fashioned word. That's a stodgy word. I don't like that word altogether. And I'm still going to give it to you. Because I think this word helps us reframe how do we keep a tender heart before Jesus, allowing him, even when we feel completely defeated, we still have ways of inviting him into our life. So the word is this. It's the word chastity. Does that feel old-fashioned? A little stodgy? A little bit. I see some head nods. Chastity. The reason I love chastity is because once you understand its meaning, and I actually used to think this is just an old-fashioned word, but once you understand its meaning, it's actually quite beautiful. 
Because chastity implies a journey towards holiness and wholeness. Chastity is a, is a cooperation with the Spirit on a journey towards wholeness. We've all been on journeys before where you faced obstacles, right? You, all of you, most of you in here, you've gotten stuck in traffic on I-35. That's an obstacle. And what do you do when you hit an obstacle? Do you just say, well, I'm not going to the meeting today. There's an obstacle in front of me. And you say, I'm going to continue. I'm going to pull out Google Maps or Waze, and I'm going to find a different way to get to where I need to be on this journey. Chastity says you are on a journey towards wholeness, which means daily, as part of that journey, you can surrender your heart and ask for help for this one day in this journey. Sometimes we think chastity only applies to you if you aren't married. Like you're supposed to be chaste, but once you're married, this doesn't apply anymore. Not true. That's actually not, that's a misunderstanding of chastity. Chastity, listen to this, this is from the, the Roman Catholic Church, it says chastity applies to every baptized believer. Who in here is a baptized believer? Chastity applies to you, married or not married, young or old. This is an invitation of a journey for you today. Chastity is, the reason this applies to everyone is because what chastity truly is, it is an alignment of our hearts to our actions. It is a type, one of the ways that we talk about chastity is it is a type of integrity. You know, integrity means wholeness. This sense that who I am in my inner life, who my, what, what my heart desires, that is who I am publicly. Like there's not a gap of difference between my inner heart and my, my bodily life. Like what I desire, who I am, is what you see right now. So chastity is saying you live in, with integrity between your deepest heart desires and the way you conduct business in the world. And what Jesus is pointing out is that if you are imaginatively creating and cultivating in your heart a fantasy world with another person, whether in real life or on a phone or a computer or something like that, then you aren't treating them like a person. In fact, what you've done is you've depersonalized them and they're an object of pleasure for you. Adultery begins in the heart. But chastity says there is an integrity between my heart desires, how I view other people. You all are made, every one of you, in the image of God. And so I view you as image bearers of God in my heart. And there's an integrity then of how I live. That's what chastity is all about. And that's why it applies to absolutely everyone. And that's why it's a journey towards wholeness and holiness. And I want to contrast chastity with the word you might be thinking of, which is purity. Purity, that word, means something like there's one transaction, one instance, and it's, it's a failure, it's over. But chastity says even in moments of failure, even in stumbling into sin, the journey isn't over. The journey towards wholeness or holiness, even if there have been immense number of failures, the journey has not yet ended. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, our hearts experience. Our, our hearts exp are expressed in actions. Another way to think about this is chastity is a virtue. You know, virtues are those settled habits that become your character. So when we, you think of someone who's a generous person, it's not because they made a donation once or twice, but there's a lifetime of being generous, of practicing generosity. That's the way it is with chastity, a lifetime of this journey towards wholeness. One of the ways I think of this is I have one of these trees in my backyard. Um, we'll put it up on the screen here. 
And this tree, it's actually beautiful. It grows very quickly. It starts as a bush, and, um, and then it can grow up into a tree because there's so much life and vivaciousness in it. And um, it's, it can grow. Mine in our backyard, we have two of them. They're about 20 feet tall. And those purple flowers are there all spring through the summer. Uh, birds come. It's big enough now. Birds can come and find some shade in it. We get bumblebees and butterflies that are attracted. It smells wonderful. It's a really lovely uh, tree in the backyard. And um, it also is so full of life that every time it rains, in fact, as I'm thinking about the rain right now, and I'm thinking I have two of these in the backyard, it starts sending out all sorts of shoots horizontally. And what I have to do, I have to be attentive to going back there and cutting off uh, dozens of shoots that start coming out horizontally because it's sending out so much life because I want it to be directed upwards towards the sun. If it keeps on growing, it becomes a massive blob in the backyard and it shades out other trees and other bushes that I also want to be present. The power of sexuality is like this tree. You are made. Part of being you includes your sexuality. And it is powerful. There's much life there. And it can grow in an unwieldy way, even overshadowing and crowding out other plants. But it can also be rightly directed rightly directed in love of God and love of others and in honoring others with a beauty and a haven that it can create. You were made as a sexual being and the goal of chastity is to rightly direct this love and this energy towards love of God and love of others. And this is chastity. It's the baptized Christian who submits their sexual desires to the Lord so that the spirit prunes off the horizontal shoots. Any misdirected life growth Jesus is saying, let me call you back to the way of freedom and wholeness so that you can be who I've made you to be, which is a blessing to others. That is the goal for your life. By the way, do you know the name of this tree? It's called a Vitex Chaste Tree. I saw that name and I thought, well, Lord, that's the sermon illustration. That has to be, right? Let me close with this. This journey that I'm describing, journey of chastity, it is not completed overnight. It is a lifetime of walking with Jesus, one foot in front of the other, and each step does not, God is not concerned with how big our steps are. He is concerned which direction our steps are facing. Are we walking with him? And Christ Church, as I've often told you, you are not just human beings. You are human becomings. You are made to become something. You are made to become in the image of Christ. He is working on you every single day if you will take this journey of reapplying, reholding your heart before him, saying, come, Lord Jesus, and may today be different than yesterday. May I look more full of your grace than yesterday. Let's pray together. Lord, your teachings today, though challenging, we believe are life-giving. We believe actually there's peace and freedom, though also sometimes fear from us because it can feel scary to walk this direction with you. So Father, in your goodness, would you send the Holy Spirit right now? And would there be a relaxation in this room upon our hearts to recognize how much you love us and care for us? You want us to be free, to love you and to love others. And so we do that in our own hearts right now. We just open them up and say, any way in us where the shoots are growing horizontal, would you prune us 
and trim us up so that we would be who and what you've called us to be. We ask this in your kind and precious name, Jesus. Amen.